0: So, hello and welcome to this new episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with writer, comedian, amongst many, many other things, Bennett Aaron. So, hey Bennett, thanks for chatting today.
1: Uh, It's my pleasure. Nice to talk to you.
0: Cool. So, let's start off by talking about young Bennett. What were you like as a kid? Were you boisterous or sort of quietly plotting to to take over the world? or?
1: It's very funny. So I've been chatting with school friends on uh on Facebook and nobody can believe what I do for a living because I was so quiet and shy in school. And so he said to me recently, Were you uh were the class clown? And I said, I wasn't but I did write all his material. And I think that's what I did. I just sort of sat quiet in the background telling others funny things to say, but I wouldn't ever saved myself so yeah very um, very shy and quiet and funnily enough that hasn't changed I consider myself still normally quiet and shy and hate meeting new people and hate going to parties uh but I will stand on stage in front of thousands quite happily trying to make them laugh
0: yeah it's quite quite odd isn't it for, for someone that stands up on a stage and uh, and does what you do
1: yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I generally hate going. I, I I like parties. I don't like arriving at parties. If that makes any sense, I don't mind being there, but I hate walking in. I feel very, very self-conscious uh, walking in. I I really don't like meeting new people. Yeah, because I I've, I feel I've like nothing really to talk about. So um, if it's people who other comedians find people who work in TV, film, radio fine but normal people uh i never know what to talk about and will stand there in silence which is embarrassing
0: yeah just quietly watching and making notes
1: yeah really and laughing at them behind their backs no i just i just <laughs> i um but generally I, I never know i i'm not much of a conversationalist unless it's about subjects i like i i don't really do small talk this is this is as much as i do small talk
0: yeah <laughs> so i mean what was the plan for when you left school um i mean did you i'm assuming you never kind of planned to be a writer or, or a stand-up
1: oh, certainly not a stand-up um i didn't really I, i've loved writing and i've written since i was very young i used to write poems for my parents um anniversary cards and birthday cards i used to write it with sketches i wrote all the stuff for the end of school productions and things like that. So I, i've always loved writing um but no, I uh, I uh was actually going to go to uni to study psychology, and then I got a place in drama school instead and ended up doing that, which I don't know if my parents ever forgave me for. Um, so I did that um, because I had a teacher in school who said to me at one point, oh, you're quite a good actor, and that stayed with us by the age of 10 or 11. That stayed with me. I thought, oh, somebody thought I was good at something. Um, and my English teacher said I was a good writer. So those I, I wanted to merge those two things, I guess. But stand-up-wise, I mean, no. that The thought of doing that absolutely petrified me. I, I had yeah. no intention. And I, I actually ran a gig. I ran a gig in Cricklewood in the 80s when I was just left drama school. And I was very young. And uh, it was called The Back of Beyond. And I had people like... Paul Merton and Joe Brand for £30 a time or something. I and mean, this was really early on. There were only really yeah. about six comedy clubs in London. Yeah. And one night the compare didn't turn up and I had to go on and introduce the acts. And I've never been so nervous in my life. I didn't know what to say. I came off stage, I was shaking, I had to go and have a drink. It was, I mean, to think that now I do this for a living is, <laughs> is bizarre. Uh, but yeah, so the, the plan. If anything, was to be an actor, really. So not, not so much a comedian, but that's yeah. how it's ended up. Yeah. But I still do both. You know, I, I I'm on a, I'm in a radio for, um, sitcom, which has just been commissioned for its fourth series. Uh, and I've done some acting on TV, but yeah, it, it was never, never to try and make people laugh for a living.
0: Yeah. It's always crazy, isn't it? You know, when you, you go and see the careers officer, careers advisor at school and they're, you know, what do you want to do? at that age, you know, it's so difficult to to know. I know some people are very kind of, they know from a very, very young age what they want to do. But, you know, I think it takes a lot. And obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of fate and things happen that kind of put you in a put you in a direction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And it's just, yeah, I mean, yesterday, uh, was it yesterday? Yesterday the day before yesterday uh, was the 25th. Anniversary of me doing my first ever stand-up gig. And it's just bizarre to think that for 25 years I have, you know, brought up a family through, through making people laugh. And it's just such a, such a weird thing to look back at and, and think that, that that's what happened. But yeah, it was just, you know, I, I, I did a gig 25 years ago just to try out material I'd written. That was the only reason. Because I used to write for people like Hayden Pace and Freddie Starr and, um, and I wrote a sketch that I thought was very funny and the producer said it wasn't. And I said, well, I think it is. And he said, well, I'm paying you. It's not. I thought, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so I was convinced that it was funny. And The only way to find out if it was funny was to try it out on stage. And that was my only reason, not because I wanted to perform as a comedian, but because I wanted to know my, my writing was funny. Yeah. Um, so, um, and it went so well. That I thought oh, I'll, I'll carry on this a little bit longer I uh, didn't think it would be this much longer but I got picked up by the BBC New Comedy Awards and I was put into the um, um, I won all my, my heats and then I was in the final in Edinburgh with um, Peter Kay and we were joint runners up in the, in the comedy awards um, and so it all, and then I had an agent it all sort of picked up from there really and then started, yeah, being uh, yeah, working yeah. a lot
0: I mean, where's, where's Peter Kay now? Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes.
1: Often rings me for advice.
0: <laughs> I'd say he does. I'd say he does.
1: He doesn't. No. <laughs> In all honesty, <laughs> he's, he's coped without that. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely.
0: So, so how did the, the actual break into stand up happen? Was it literally that, that time you had to get on the stage and, and compare was kind of like the, the catalyst? Or did no, the, the no. writing the writing came first and then that kind of led led to the stand up?
1: I, I think it all it well the writing certainly led to the stand up but then the um then I guess the big boost was was the person who saw me at the at the comedy awards. Mm. Um they're the one that put me forward and they hadn't come to see me, they'd come to see somebody else who who did really, really badly, um, which is awful and yet brilliant. Um, because it meant that um that instead of putting them through, they put me through. So that was probably the catalyst to how it all started. If that hadn't happened, I don't know if I'd still be doing it as much. But that really helped my career, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what you were saying earlier about, you know, not really being a natural performer, and then doing what you're what you're doing now. It's, it, it, you've you've come a long way.
1: Uh, yes, I'd like to think so, and I like to think that um, that I've I've. I've done all right. I mean, what's weird is that, that people think because of because of the career I've chosen that you're only successful if you're on TV. Because a number of times, especially on Twitter, people say to me, Oh, really comedian, I've never heard of you. And you go, well, what other industry does that have? If I meet somebody I say, What do you do? I'm an accountant. Really? An accountant? I've never heard of you. I mean it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, you can be successful without I've never I've never wanted the fame aspect. Yeah. Of my job. It's that, that has never, I, I have a lot of famous friends and if you go out, they have selfies taken and, and some like it, some do, and the majority like it actually because we're all egotistical. But it's never really, uh, it's never appealed to me. I, I'd hate to go somewhere. It's, it's happened once or twice when, when I've had stuff on, on TV, little bits I've done, documentaries, what have people have recognized me and I don't like it because I'm shy. I don't want people coming over. and yeah. And talking to me, I mean, it's nice. It's complimentary, but I, I I feel very inhibited.
0: Yeah, it's a very kind of different other side of the coin, isn't it? That you you can get up and talk in front of these people, but you don't like necessarily like the interaction with. Yeah,
1: I'm I happy to chat with anybody on stage, but then off stage, I'm I'm finished.
0: <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, yeah. So you were saying, Ellie, you've written for some of these huge, huge names, you know, Graham Norton, Jack Whitehall. Freddie Starr, Hale and Pace. absolutely loved Hale and Pace back in the day. i love to get them on the podcast. Um, I don't know what they're up to these days, even. Um, so, I mean, how do you end up writing for other people? Do they approach you, or how does it work? Well,
1: no. This was at a time when you could write in stuff and send it in to production companies. You can't right. really do that anymore. But you could write sketches and just say, do you like this? Um, and they liked a couple of them and then commissioned me to write a few minutes of material. Um, and I wrote for, yeah, there was, apart from um, Helen Page, I also wrote a sketch for The Real McCoy, which was a, yeah. a series years and years ago. And I found out not that long ago that one of my sketches uh was in the top hundred funny sketches of all time ever something, uh, which is lovely because they contacted me and said, oh, just. To let you know we're putting that on. Do we have your permission to show it? And like, of course. So that was very nice. So yeah, and that, it was just good fun. It was good fun writing, um, sketch writing I've always loved. And I said that's the reason I got into stand-up was just to hmm. see if my material that had been turned down was funny. So,
0: yeah, it's another like, string to your bow, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? The, the more you can do, the, the more opportunities there are, I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and what happened from that, I sort of started writing, um, longer forms. I wrote a, a sitcom and that won the Taps Comedy Writer of the Year award. And as a result of that, um, I became a member of BAFTA. So I wrote on BAFTA films and I mm. became a member of the Writers Guild of uh, Great Britain. Um, and also I had an agent on the back of that. And what would happen is that at gigs, people would ask me about writing, how they can get into sitcom writing, what advice I would give them. I used to tell people how to do it, how to start a sitcom. And then I thought, oh, I should make money from this. Um So I decided to run sitcom writing workshops, which I used to do one a week for five weeks for, for um two hours in a pub, upstairs in a pub in London. And it grew and grew, and I've ended up doing them around the world, really. I've done a couple of nice ones in Amsterdam and other places. Then when lockdown came, I bought a domain name called um, self-isolating.co.uk, which I was very pleased that I managed to get that before somebody else did. And set up a script, um, a script writing service or script editing service where anybody who had a script wanted to look at, I would, I would do it for, uh, and charge them a yeah. reduced fee. And then I ran workshops online, not knowing if anybody would be interested, and everyone I did sold out. And there was – it. yeah, that's what kept me going because, of course, all my work stopped, all stand-up work stopped, really. So the workshops have kept me going. And people who've done the workshops have gone on to win the BAFTA Rockliffe Writing Award. They've gone on to have their own sitcom script produced, so they just won a um, – an award, Los Angeles um, Film Festival, uh, all these people who, who you know who did my workshop. So I'm, that I'm really uh, proud of. So I'm clearly doing something right.
0: Yeah, take a bit, a little bit of the credit for that. <laughs> a little bit. No, I'd
1: I to take, take all the credit. <laughs>
0: so
1: I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you prefer writing for yourself or for other people? I suppose writing for uh, writing for yourself is a little bit more bit more freeing, maybe.
1: Um, I love writing for other people, but I, I guess a, a few people have asked me to write for them. And they've said to me, you probably won't want to write for me. You probably end up wanting to keep the material yourself. And I said, no, no, no. there are real material for them. I went, yeah, yeah, no, I want to do this myself. So uh, if I'm writing for somebody else, it has to be somebody completely different to me. It's not the type of thing that I would do on stage. Otherwise, yeah. I want to keep it. So, yeah, they're different, uh, but both fun. Really. And I'm writing at the moment, I'm currently writing my new show because the first time in, I don't know how many years, uh, I'm doing the Edinburgh Festival.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah. So only because it's 25 years and I just thought it'd be a nice thing to do. Uh, so I'm doing that and it's called, get ready for this, because, uh, because I'm, I'm both Jewish and Welsh and it's 25 years, it's called Mazel Taf. <laughs> There you go. There's an exclusive. That is
0: class. Title. That is class. Yeah.
1: That's the reason I'm doing it, because I thought of the title, and went, I went, I can't miss out on this. It's a good title.
0: So.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there must be a knack to writing, writing for other people. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, do you have to try and write in their, write in their voice? Or, yeah. you know, yeah. How does it yeah. work? Yeah. You see,
1: um, well, a lot of the time I used to go and watch them doing stand up or things. they, on TV, I just well, watch videos or what have you if I couldn't see them live. And then we chat and talk about things they wanted to talk about. Um, and that would be it that I just go away and write stuff, really.
0: Yeah, no, that's crazy. Uh, so you were yeah. part of, uh, the alone radio series, very, very successful mm. radio series with friend of the podcast, Murray Hunter. Um, so is, is radio work a large part of what you do? Would you say? I suppose, again, I suppose radio work is very freeing. You know, because you're not, you know, you're there behind a microphone basically.
1: Yeah, I love doing radio. Uh, I, I've always wanted to have my own radio series and BBC Three Counties were very nice to give me, um, a radio series which had callers and put play music, something I've always wanted to do and that was fun. Then I did two series, three series for BBC Wales, Radio Wales, uh, which was a comedy stand-up and sketch show, which did very well and nominated for Celtic Media Awards. Um, and I love radio. Uh, I I love the idea of just listening and being um taken away somewhere and using an imagination. And what's very funny, my daughter once said to me, because of course my kids haven't been brought up really listening to radio. Yeah. It's all visual medium. And my daughter's listening to alone <laughs> and she said, it's really funny, she said, but where do I look? I thought that was such an interesting thing to say, because they they don't quite know yeah how to listen and not see something at the same time, but uh yeah, so I love it i I really love it alone has been fantastic I mean, that you know I didn't write it, so just being able to turn up and not have to worry about anything else except performing and trying to be funny has been great, and yeah, the first it was it was um a finalist in the. BBC Audio Drama Awards last year, Radio Drama Awards, uh, so it's lovely. It's really, it's really good fun, like I can't wait for the new series.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing about radio. You know, you're literally you've got the the voices in your ear, and you're you're totally focused. You know, on on audio.
1: Yeah, and it's it's much more intimate, I think, yeah, because definitely. people are listening to it and and they're being involved. And It does sound as though you know you're talking. Talking to them, and that was the thing I was told. When I did my radio show that you know, uh, just imagine you, you're having a chat with with a friend, with one person, like we're doing now. The same type of thing you do when you're doing you know radio, and and it's lovely when it when it works. It's really good.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of podcast as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're sort of listening in on a conversation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Really, and, uh, and I, I like that aspect.
0: Yeah. So you you've performed all over the world. Um, I mean. Have you played any sort of weird... Have there been any weird places <laughs> that you've kicked in?
1: Um, any weird... Thing? One of the nicest but oddest... I, As well as doing stand-up and, and awards hosting and stuff, I also did these talks on fraud and identity theft. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. scams and things like that. So I had a, uh, an email from a large company in Australia saying would you be our opening keynote speaker at a big convention we're doing? And this was in March. They emailed me. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love to do that. They went, great, we've been in contact. Didn't hear anything. Two weeks later, they came back. Went, yeah, we want to go ahead. It's in six weeks' time. And I said, okay, that's not much notice to go to Australia. But, yep, I'd love to do that. So um, I flew over, and I was there for four days, five days. I think that was it. <laughs> I mean, cause it was a day flying there, a day flying back. It was, I will never do that again. So wow, what a brilliant time. And I arrived thinking, okay, I timed it well. I arrived there about 9pm, day a time. I thought I'll go straight to sleep and then wake up ready because the talk was at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Of course I arrived, they went, oh, let me just see you, okay, come and have a drink, gave a pool, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm oh. still there drinking, chatting, playing pool. Um didn't sleep and went on. The first three to four minutes of the talk was probably the worst opening for talk I've ever done. It was all over the place and I was doing an hour. Uh, luckily it then all sort of kicked in and, and it was great. And that was such a, that was so much fun to go over there and be, there were about 2,000 delegates in the room and it was just lovely. It was really, 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 really good fun. Then they asked me to be part, they had a big, um ceremony where they had the winner of australia x-factor and different people doing things and they asked if i just do some stand-up as well which was great so i did that so that was that was a fantastic trip but i have mean, been to places you know that i would never have dreamt of going when yeah, i was younger yeah. you know south africa hong kong um all around europe as well it's been great it's been really really good fun
0: yeah i mean would you say comedy travels well you it know, can do. But like, if you go to South Africa or something, is it expats or would you have like locals or? Uh,
1: no, South Africa wasn't expats. Hong Kong was expats. Um, but, uh, no, South Africa were, were people, majority were people who lived there. Um, and it was quite weird just before, <laughs> before I went on stage, um, I was chatting with this group of people who didn't know that I was about to perform and they were telling jokes and then one of them told this really racist joke, which <laughs> I just looked, which uh, obviously I would repeat, and I just stared. And then he told a really anti Semitic joke. And so, of course, everybody was laughing at both, and I didn't. God. Anyway, I then went on and I did my my um, my set. And of course, I mentioned about being Jewish in the set. And when I came off, the guy said to me, Oh, God, I, I didn't realize you were Jewish. You know, I hope you weren't offended. And I said, Well, it, it, it was an offensive joke. I said, You know, it just wasn't. You know, if it was funny and fine, but I said it was purely just offensive. And he went, oh, "I now understand why you didn't laugh." Although, why didn't you laugh at the racist one? I thought, "Yeah, you haven't quite <laughs> <laughs> quite understood how this works." So that, that was a, a a weird experience. But I have to say, generally, I only once or twice I've come up against um, anti-Semitic comments or um, unpleasantness. But in 25 years, you know, just having it once or twice isn't isn't a bad ratio.
0: Yeah, I mean, what do you, what what do you think of the the whole Jimmy Carr thing that's been that's been going on recently? You know, do you think he was justified, not justified?
1: Well, I don't think, to be fair, I don't think the joke was was uh, justified. Uh, I did I he- heard him say it live. Funny enough, because I saw him at the theater before it went on to Netflix, and I I like a lot of his stuff. Mm. And I know that he does try to, you know, break boundaries and be controversial, yeah. which yeah. you can be. But you can do it, I think, without being too offensive.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and I think there sometimes it just crosses the line. Um, and the people who say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as, as cancel culture. It, there is. Of course is. It's funny, the people who say cancel culture doesn't exist are usually the ones that want people cancelled uh, in, in some bizarre way. Um, but I, I, I've never understood this thing, and people say this to me, oh, you're a comedian, you know, you're, you're meant to be offensive, you're meant to... No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm literally meant to be funny. That That's about it. I'm not there to, to break down anything. I'm there to make people laugh. So... It's easy to be offensive. It's really easy. You find a minority group and you make fun of them. It's not difficult. Um, but it isn't necessarily funny.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that that's why there are, you know, there's so many different comedians in different genres. Obviously, you know, someone that goes to see, well, would have gone to see, like, Bernard Manning, wouldn't be going yeah. to see Hale and Pace, obviously. And there's different, but- different audiences for different, yeah, I mean, absolutely. 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 The, humor, basically.
1: The, the funny thing with Bernard Manning is that, you know, his his defense was always, oh, um, I make fun of everybody. Well, it wasn't true. He didn't make fun of northern working class people. You know, it was so <clears throat> these people say I make fun of everyone. It's not always the case. So and. Somebody asked me the other day and said, you know, can, can you make jokes about the Holocaust, for example? Mm. And I said, I, 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 I've only ever heard one joke about the Holocaust that, and again, I won't repeat it, but it was, it was the only joke I heard. It was funny because nobody in the joke was, uh, the joke wasn't against people who'd been killed.
0: Yeah. 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 So,
1: you no, know, it's, it, it's easy to punch down. It's just easy to do it. And I could write you know, an hour. About uh, making fun of people who are um, in minority groups or people who are the easily picked upon.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's
1: not it's not difficult to do, but and there there is an audience for it. Yeah, absolutely, audience for it. It's just I don't want them to be my audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you wonder whether anything is taboo these days. I mean, obviously, a lot of things should be. But I mean, yeah, a lot, I think a lot of comedians basically said there should be no taboo. You should be able to talk about whatever you, whatever you want to talk about. And, you know, people are going to get offended, whatever you say in yeah. some shape or form.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't know why you have to. Well, yes, yeah. of course you can talk about anything, but why would you? Yes, you can make fun of anything, but why? You know, if that's the only way you're going to get a laugh, you're not a great comedian as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it says a lot about audiences as well. Do you know what I mean? You kind of you might go and see someone and expect them to talk about, you know, as I, as I was saying, like your Bernard Mannings and uh, people from back in the day. I suppose obviously it was a different time back then to uh, to what we're what we're in now.
1: Yeah, no, of course things have you know have have moved on. I mean, I said I I I can't say I don't make fun of. Anybody but I'd like to think that anything I do is done in a very um i mean most of it is self deprecating yeah, if yeah. I'm going to make jokes for anybody, it'll be about um about being Jewish and Welsh myself, and I don't swear on stage, I never have done <clears throat> it's one thing i um I mean I don't swear in real life, and yeah, I just don't I never have and i I remember saying to my dad that you know I wouldn't swear on stage and something that I've kept to. Not just yeah. because of the promise, but because it's something, you know, when, it, when the punchline to a joke is a swear word, you, you just think it's, it's, it's not great writing.
0: Yeah. Takes away from it a little bit, I suppose. I think so. I yeah. Think so so for, for people that might not be familiar with your work, how would you describe your, your style, your stand-up style?
1: Brilliant. <laughs> um, and I'd say that you've really missed out. Uh, so. how would I describe? <laughs> It's um yeah, like I said it is it's a lot of um, stuff about myself, about my background, about being part of the only Jewish family in a in um, small village in South Wales. So there's a lot of when I first started it was all one liners. It was one gag after the other because I that's where I wrote and I didn't want to be heckled, so I just did that bang 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 quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And now I've sort of changed a bit as I've got older. So now it's, it's all, it's mostly story based. Mm. So true, funny stories and, um, things about my kids, things about myself, things about getting older. And it seems to be working, thank goodness so far. Well, so yeah. far, 25 yeah. years later.
0: I mean, are you, are you a note taker? Are you, uh, would you have like a notebook or a, do you make notes of your phone? Do you know, while you're out and about, you might see something and, you
1: know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I always carry uh, a pen and paper with me. Yeah. No, constantly that. And uh, and that's what I'm hoping to do for this new show uh, for, for the Edinburgh Festival. I've written, well, I've got a preview coming up in two weeks' time to do half an hour, and I've written four minutes. <laughs> so I'm hoping, <laughs> um, I'm hoping I'll have more stuff before then.
0: You'll get, you'll get there. Hoping
1: I get there. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you, your, your style and everything has changed a lot, would have changed a lot since you started. I mean, I'm assuming it's like a learning, it's like any, any job, you know, you're learning as you go along, you're, do you know what I mean? Sort of adding to your, your skill set. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's changed. It's adapted. I've become much more confident, I guess, on stage. I love, Mm. Chatting with the audience now. I love improvising. I did a gig last Saturday night and in the whole time I was on stage, I think I did one line of material and the rest was just chatting and improvising with the audience, which I, oh my God, when I first started, I I can't even imagine uh, wanting to do, I mean, I didn't, I, I feared anybody saying anything to me and now that's the bit I look forward to the most really. Yeah. So maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just do an, an hour of chatting with the audience. Stop chat, the yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, like, The Guardian called you the Welsh Seinfeld. I mean, like, yeah. would you, 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 take, you take it as a, as a good compliment?
1: I can't see it any other way than a good compliment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it was a lovely quote. <laughs> and for Using it on absolutely everything. You know, it's really nice. It's, uh, yeah, it was a lovely thing to, to um, have written about you. So, yes, that's a good compliment. Um, I don't think Jerry Seinfeld has been called the American (laughs) Bennett Aaron (laughs) any day now.
0: You never know. You never know.
1: Maybe he has. Maybe it's on his posters. I'll have to check.
0: (laughs) It's on his CV. (laughs) It'd be great. (laughs) Um, So we, we, we talked a little bit there about lockdown. Um, I mean, it must have been as a as a stand up. I mean, I suppose with writing wise, writing would have kept you kept you busy enough. And you said yes. you, were, you were doing stuff on Zoom. But I mean, it must have been hard not being able to really do any stand up or anything for, you know, the guts of a year.
1: Oh, it was awful. I mean, the day of lockdown, I lost a year and a half's salary. I mean, it, it was one phone call or one e- email off the other saying, oh, we're not going ahead with this thing. We're not doing this gig. We're not doing this conference. We're not doing this awards thing. We're not doing this auction. I mean, just it didn't stop. And <laughs> just watching all the money not coming in. So it was yeah. quite, uh, yeah, it was really upsetting. So I, d- I just didn't know what to do. I did some online gigs, which were fine. But it's, it's just not the same, especially as I, said, I like to improvise. I like to chat. And you can't go. Oh, what's your name? Uh, no, you, no, you're on mute. <laughs> no, the word. So that was impossible. Uh, but starting the workshops, I'm so pleased I did that, and that worked very well. And also um, during lockdown, I must have edited oof, 150 scripts, so that was also good fun. And it was nice to to be at home really and just work on those.
0: Yeah, it must be really rewarding to be able to share your knowledge with people. And in, you know, impart your impart your wisdom, I suppose, to help other people. That you know, that say you could be you could be an aspiring scriptwriter. But where do you where do you go to to get advice? Where do you go to you learn know, this, these this things?
1: This is it, absolutely. People always ask me, how do I start from a blank page? Yeah, and that's what I do. I show so it works for established writers, and it works for people who've got a bit more experience. Actually, I've written um, I then wrote a book about it. A little, it's a, it's a small book. It's, it's a, it's a PDF you get through my website called My First Sitcom. And it just shows you how to write it from start. And people have said to me that it's just been invaluable. It's, a, it's five pound and, uh, and I give, um, 20% to, um, Alzheimer's research. Uh, and yeah, people, I mean, it's sold loads and people have really enjoyed reading it. So that's been, so that's been something that, that I enjoyed writing and so, and the feedback's been great.
0: Mm, that's the thing, that's the beauty of it as well. You can get, you can get feedback from, from what you're doing and sort of learn from it. Um, I mean, do you use social media? Is social media a, a, a tool you use oh, yeah. for your work?
1: Oh, way too much. Yeah, ridiculously. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, yeah. And I'm on Facebook a lot. Instagram, not so much. Um, Snapchat, not at all because I'm not 12. No, but the rest, uh, the rest, I I use, yeah, I yeah a bit a bit too much. But then I use it. I use it for promoting gigs. I use it for selling or promoting the books I've written. So you know, it has that aspect, and it's a good place to try out new material.
0: Yeah, a bit of TikTok maybe for your future.
1: I've got a TikTok account, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I think I put one video on there, and that was it. There's it a good feedback. But that was it. I just thought that uh, I, 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 I should do it. I'll try again, maybe.
0: Yeah. No, maybe I'm, then. I'm being told by my, my, my eight-year-old nephew that it's, it's the future. You know.
1: <laughs> it, 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 it probably is. Although by the time your eight-year-old nephew is our age, they would even remember what TikTok was.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about. I mean, did you, did you have any comedy heroes growing up? Who would have been your, who would have been your sort of aspirations? Uh, people that
1: I, uh, you. I loved watching Tommy Cooper, uh, and Morkwan Wise. And probably Dave Allen. So those are the ones that I would look forward to, to watching. Morkman Wise probably more than uh, anybody else. Jess. Just, just Brilliant. Jess. And even now, you know, they, even when they, they show sure repeats, it's still funny to watch. And Tommy Cooper is fantastic. So I would say yes. Those. Yeah.
0: Timeless, though, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? People. Yeah.
1: Are like, uh, yeah.
0: It's a very generational yeah. thing, though. Do you know what I mean? People of our age would would kind of say like uh, the Ronnies or Malcolm Wise or Tommy Cooper. It's a very generational thing, and then older people would go for the Goons, Round the Horn, that kind yeah. of thing. So it's quite a nice yeah. uh, plateau of. Uh...
1: Yes, but even even I remember it wasn't that long ago listening to some um, Goons radio scripts. I'm thinking, you know, they've stood the test of time. That's still funny. Still funny. Which shows what good comedy is. I don't know how many comedians nowadays in 20, yeah. 30 years' time, you look back and, and it will have stood the test of time. I'd like to think mine will, but yeah. who knows.
0: Yeah. No, it's crazy, isn't it? As I said, these these guys from the, you know, the 60s, 70s, their comedy is, was timeless. And I don't know. As you say, I don't know who from sort of the current crop of uh, of, com- of comedians would be still around, if, you know, their comedy would still be talked about in, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years' time.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to look back and think how comedy is going to change. I mean, yeah. is it going to be to the state that, you know, they keep saying, oh, you know, you can't say this, you can't say that. Well, of course you can. You know, people can still say things. It's just, to me, it's not necessary. <laughs> to say a lot of it but you can say it and there's always an outlet for saying what you want to say but it might come to a point that that you know everybody finds everything too offensive and then there will be anything to say at all yeah
0: yeah well I mean you know looking at stuff like Benny Hill (laughs) like Benny Hill now yes oh yeah he's so politically incorrect but at the time oh yeah
1: on 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 every level yeah everyone
0: loved him he was one of the top Top shows in the world kind of thing and it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it absolutely was a top show in the, in the world. I remember going to, um, going to Spain, um, when I first met my wife and she, because she's Spanish and, uh, um, and her dad, who didn't speak any English at all, just said to me, Benny Hill. (laughs) And it just made me laugh because they, they loved watching it, you know, because it, it, it was quite easy because it was simple. It was quite easy to translate.
0: Yeah, yeah, slapping They're... a little, slapping a little ball man on the head, on the top yeah. of the head.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was I've very, that. very
0: visual. That's mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> very upsetting people keep doing that.
0: It was all very visual. Um Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it could be, you know, twenty years. It could be like Max Headroom, you know, just have these, oh
1: wow, these, these weird. Yeah. I
0: don't know, yeah. like like a robot, robots telling yeah. jokes, maybe.
1: Yeah. Mind, mind you, I've seen some comedians, and you sort of feel that they're doing that anyway. But yes, I know what you mean.
0: Not naming any names, of course. Not naming course. any names. Um, so yeah, so I mean, how you how have you been celebrating your your 25 year? I mean, it's, it's a it's a good milestone, isn't it? To have a 25. It, it is.
1: I like to call it my silver jubilee. Oh, there, there
0: we go. See what you did there.
1: Thank you. Um, <laughs> So I'm celebrating it by throwing as much money as I can to the people who run the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> uh, uh yes, yeah, so it's gonna, it's gonna cost a bit to do, but that's, yeah, the time yeah. I'm it. Is is by doing the festival really and hoping people turn up to see it. And I'm doing the free fringe this time, which I did oh, cool. years and years ago. Yeah, uh, in the past I've, I've chopped and changed between doing paid venues and free fringe, but the, the free fringe, there's a lovely ethos to the free fringe, the idea that you don't have to pay for venue and people pay what they feel the show is yes. worth. Yeah. I, I really like it. I mean, yes, at the end, you have to look back at it. It does feel a little bit like begging, but you know, when I've been married for a while, so I'm used to begging. So that's fine.
0: <laughs> I'd say the free fringe as well is a good way of, you know, people can come and see you that might not necessarily go, Oh, let's go see this guy. It looks really, really interesting. It might not necessarily have seen you before, but, obviously, are you, maybe. Are you, are a, you it,
1: saying that after 25 years, people <laughs> don't know I am, Paula? Is well, that no, what you're
0: implying? No, no I'm of
1: course. I'm talking about the Nobody free fringe. Knows, I'm right. talking
0: about the free fringe. Um, yes. you know, people that might not, might not, you know, who are these people yes. that are not familiar with your work? But um, no, absolutely. You know, it's good for, obviously, if, if it's free and you're just gonna pay what you think the show was worth, it's a good yes. way of getting your, getting your name out there a bit, a bit more.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing it uh, purely because of the title. I mean, I'm not thinking to myself. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be picked up. I'm the next new young thing. Because uh, a few people said, you know, what's the point of doing it? Because normally, you know, when you start off, you do Edinburgh to get known to get picked up. I remember talking yeah, to yeah. Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr told me what his plan was when I first met him, and he said, "This is we 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 been going around the same time we first geeked together." And he he said, "This is my plan. I'm going to do three Edinburgh shows, get an agent, go on, get a TV show, do it." And he, I have to say, he has kept to it completely, really, really impressively what he set out to do, and and he's done it. But of course, you know, at, at my stage, nobody, no TV producer is going to want a you know a short, fat, bald, middle-aged <laughs> guy. I think we, we, we had our moment, uh, so I'm the, I'm completely wrong for that. Uh, but I want to do it because I've found a new, a new enjoyment with stand up because it, it does go in waves. There was a time about a year and a half ago, two years, ago, just before lockdown, where I thought, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to carry on doing it and, and then wrote some new material during lockdown and, and missed it.
0: Yeah, so, yeah
1: and now I'm, I'm back next week. I've got, 12, no, 14 gigs in the week, which is, you know, God. which is great. Yeah. So I'm doing two a night the whole week, which is lovely. In different places around the country. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And as I look, writing stuff for Edinburgh, I'm doing. So, yes, it's the liquid the liquid rooms in Edinburgh, quarter to seven in the evening, um, in case anybody wants to know. Very nice. So, yeah. So new, new things to look forward to.
0: Yeah. No, I remember back in the day, I think it might have been around the same time, Jimmy was walking around Edinburgh in a white suit, totally yeah. this head to toe in a white suit, and you're just kind of like, this is a guy that wants to get noticed get noticed yep yeah.
1: like, and he did and he did, and you know, good luck to him
0: he really did. a little bit about music now have there been any major music loves in your life be it a band or an artist that have kind of followed through on your life journey
1: so when i was younger i was a huge fan of olive newton john very very big fan okay. uh had all the art al- shut up dog mock had all the um <laughs> had all the albums um central birthday card every year uh, it was even the even a member of the Olivia and John fan club, uh, but never received the promised lock of hair um or uh, or teeth. So I was um always always a big fan. Uh and the other person I've always been a fan of and have seen several times is Gary Newman. Oh,
0: nice.
1: Not. Yeah. Uh I've I've my era, music era, would have been the eighties. And and it's funny, even now my, my kids love that that era, that music they listen to apart from new bands. Oh, actually saying that, the newest band I really love and have been to see with my daughter recently is London Grammar.
0: Oh yeah, very good. So,
1: really like London Grammar uh, and their last um yeah, the, the three albums I think it's three they've done, have all been terrific and we saw them in concert in Nottingham uh, a f- couple of months ago and what was lovely was Nottingham was when they first started and they spoke on stage and I think it's it was 10 years previous. They did a gig in a pub in Nottingham to one person. And here they were performing at a sold-out arena. It was just lovely. It was really, really nice. So that's that's what I like at the moment.
0: I guess we all have to start somewhere. Yes. I? Yeah. Yes, I, indeed. I, mean, I, I remember seeing Muse in a pub. Uh, I think there was about 10 people there. And now they're filling stadiums across the world. It's yeah. kind of weird to see these. You know, the very early catalysts of a band and then, you know, all of a sudden they're these worldwide ph- phenomenons. A bit like yourself, obviously.
1: Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> worldwide phenomenon. <laughs>
0: um, do you get to, you get to, talk about seeing London Grammar there, do you get to go to many gigs in your line of work?
1: Not really. Um, also, I, I, in all truthfulness, I'm not a fan of going to big stadiums and being with loads of people, it just doesn't appear and I would never ever go to somewhere, go to a, a music festival I, honestly, and I've got friends who love it and good luck to them that is up there with, with jumping out of an aeroplane without a parachute <laughs> uh, yeah, oh my god I can't think of, honestly I can't think of, of many things worse than doing that so, no
0: I, but say there was a music festival and Olivia Newton-John was headlining. Gary oh, Newman, yes. Gary Newman was in a, uh-huh. t- a headliner tent maybe, and London Grandma uh-huh. were, you know, on a on, backup on the on the uh, main stage. You know, if, it you, you say, you? if it was me and say,
1: if it me and say twenty five, thirty other people, absolutely, I'll be there. <laughs> and providing there were good toilet facilities and I like could stay <laughs> in a nice hotel. Nobody stood next to me and nobody was shouting noisily. Then I'm absolutely up for that.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that the whole camping thing, you know, I think you get to, you get to a certain age and you're like, no, nah, I can't be, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't do it.
1: Well, I can't camp. And also, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm going to need to go to the loo a lot during the day. <laughs> and I, I don't use porter cabins. So no, it's not for me.
0: It's not the nicest of things. So, yeah. um, I mean, so Edinburgh. Let's finish on Edinburgh. So um I say, how much, uh, how prepared are you for, you've obviously done Edinburgh in the past many times.
1: Yes, but I yes. Mean, and Edinburgh, like... Edinburgh in the past has been very, very good for me. The first Edinburgh I did, which was the show I did about um, identity theft, led to me speaking <laughs> around the world and doing a documentary yeah. for Channel 4 on the subject and um, being arrested. So that was fun. And then the other shows that I did, Have led to radio series and other documentaries, so it's it's been it's been really good in the past. I'm the least prepared I've ever been because I don't actually know what I'm going to write about. So, I yes, um, sometimes it's better.
0: It's better that way. Yes, sometimes. Yes, you go in there full guns. This is what I'm going to do. X, Y, Z. Then you know what I mean. Yeah. Set yourself up for failure, maybe. And sometimes it's better. Yeah, to fly by
1: the seat maybe. of pants. Yes. I, I, I honestly don't know how it's going to go. I might not get anybody turning up. Um, and I thought that the second time I did anybody, I didn't think anybody turned up because nobody knew who I was. And the show sold out every single night. I still don't know how. I, I still don't know how. Because that hasn't happened in, in every year since. But that particular show, which is called uh, Jew Welsh, did uh, surprisingly <laughs> well. So I'm hoping it does well. I'm hoping people enjoy it. And I'm hoping not to lose everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, you hear all these stories, don't you, of, of people that, you know, they, they basically uh, remortgage their house to do Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just...
1: Well, I, I know friends who are with big agencies that still owe the agencies, you know, tens of thousands of pounds. Because they they just take little bits off the gigs they have. Yeah. So somebody's making money in Edinburgh, and it's not necessarily <laughs> the comedian.
0: It's all the people with flats, flats to let. It's the people,
1: people with oh my god, <laughs> yeah. It's the people with flats. It's the people who run the big venues and it's the agents. Those are the ones who are who are making money, not not the likes of me.
0: Yeah, it's obviously worth investing in property in central Edinburgh, you know.
1: It's, uh, it certainly is. I mean, <laughs> even just for those three weeks, four yeah. weeks of the year, it's what you can only get. And this year particularly because there's a lot of people looking to go this year because they've missed out on previous years.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's really worth it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think this year's Edinburgh is going to be that bit more special because everyone's been, yeah. away, for, been, been away for so long and just, you know, just the atmosphere yeah. of Edinburgh is just incredible.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so
0: cool so thank you so so much for taking the time to talk to me today Bennett it's been an absolute pleasure
1: My, I, it's been lovely so thanks thanks for having me on your show
0: thank you for taking the time I really appreciate it